American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Good evening, motherfucking time heads. It's time for episode 112 of American Timelines. That's how we're going to start it? That's how we just started it. All right. I'm Amy and that's Joe. Oh, real real cordial. Yep. Real nice of you. Yep. Tell everybody who we are. And uh, What if I'm Marvin Stinkbottom? You're not. Oh. Today we're going to talk about 1968. What if I'm Charlene Mitchell? We're still in 1968. We are in the summer, the hot summer of 1968. Yes. The summer of uh, political national conventions. Yes. Riots. Uh, Lots of riots. Assassinations. Martin Luther King Jr. just got killed. Mm -hmm. And then last month, RFK got killed. Lots of riots. People were wondering if they should even bother going on with life because everything was so tragic and there's murders and there's... Uh, buses flying off of cliffs everywhere, airplane crashes. But now we're going to jump into July of 1968. Yep. Sunday, July 7th, 1968, the Communist Party USA nominated a presidential candidate for the first time since Earl Browder ran in 1940. Really? Choosing 38-year-old Charlene Mitchell as the first African-American woman to run for president of the United States. Oh, wow. Concluding its four-day convention at the Diplomat Hotel in Harlem, her running mate, Michael Zagarell, was a 23-year-old white man from Brooklyn, younger than the constitutionally required age of 35. The Mitchell and Zagarell ticket on the ballot only in New York would receive 1,077 of the 73 million votes that are, that are in the election. That's funny. Yeah. That's uh, pretty low. Also that same day, 26 people were killed and 11 others seriously injured in the town of Natagaima in Colombia when the bus they were riding no struck way. a bridge ab- abatement and then plunged over a cliff. Jeez. The bridges and the buses. Buses over cliffs. Yes. Yeah. It was just in the 60s. That's all it was. It's crazy. I never knew it was such an epidemic. You had a better chance of uh, falling off a cliff in a bus in the 60s than you did of uh, uh, bowling a 200. What? I don't know. Or a better chance of falling off a bus on a mountain and dying than dying in a car crash maybe or dying in a i don't think so falling off a having a heart attack i don't i don't know know what you're trying to say friday july 12th 1968 the attempted hijacking of delta airlines flight 977 was foiled by members of the crew good u.s senator james o eastland of mississippi and hijacker Oren daniel richards were among the 48 passengers on the flight from philadelphia to houston Carrying a 45 caliber pistol, Richards forced his way into the cockpit and ordered the pilot, Captain Fortis Dines, to divert the plane to Cuba. The flight engineer, Glenn Smith, calmly talked to Richards and persuaded him to drop the weapon, then continued the conversation until Richards had calmed down. 
The Convair 880 then made a landing in Miami, where Richards was arrested. The event was believed to be the first hijacking thwarted in flight. Really? That's good. Yep. Richards, a former mental patient, would be found incompetent to stay in trial and would later be committed to the U.S. Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. Oh, he must have been real wackadoodle because... You is that a is that a scientific term? Yeah, wackadoodle. It's hard to plead insanity and have that. Yeah, he probably wasn't. I mean, yeah, you got to be pretty nuts to mm-hmm. hijack a plane. I would. Say. I would think. And then that Sunday, July fourteenth, two spectators were killed and twenty seven others injured at the Berlin Raceway in Marne, Marne Michigan. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Marne, M A R N E. Okay. We'll never know. There's no way to find out. When a race car crashed into the grandstand after its driver oh lost control. God. Really? Yeah. The 18-year-old driver who was thrown from the car as it rear-ended another racer sustainably minor injuries. Holy moly. You imagine watching a race and all of a sudden a race car comes flying at you? Yeah. Kills you? That would be an interesting way to go. Be a little bit startling. And that brings us right away to Wednesday July 17th, and I understand that you, mm-hmm. my beautiful young bride, have a little story to share. Stella and I have a story. Stella, our daughter, slash dog, and you have a story. Yes. She's sitting on your lap, falling asleep. Yeah. So first I'm going to um, go forward. I'm going to kind of jump back and forth in time a little bit here. Oh, we're going to do some time jumping? Mm-hmm. Kind of like Quantum Leap? Kind of, yeah, a little bit. Something? I'm going to tell the story of the Torso Ripper. Gross. Yeah. The Torso Ripper. Yeah. What? What the hell's the Torso Ripper? Yeah, you'll find out. So Is I got this guy who rips people's nipples off or what? So I got my information from NJ.com, which stands for New Jersey, Wikipedia, NJ. Murderpedia, and Murderpedia. CriminallyIntrigued.com. Okay. Visit those fine places. All right, so knowledge. Um, first we're going to start on May 22nd, 1980. Oh, May 22nd, 1980. Oh, wait, we're going to jump to the same day that popular talk show host Phil Donahue and television actress Marlo Thomas were married? Yes. We're jumping, you're just saying we're jumping to the same day that Pac-Man, the highest grossing arcade game of all time, was test marketed by Namco in Japan? Yes. That same day? Yes. So those things are happening. Phil Donahue is... Making love to his wife he just married, okay. and Pac-Man's being played. And what happened? So it's early morning. A couple decides to check in to a Quality Inn hotel. Oh, a Quality Inn. There's a chance that's the same hotel that Phil Donahue's at. They had met a few hours earlier in Manhattan. Okay. The young lady, Leslie Ann O'Dell, okay. had told the man that she had arrived in New York earlier that week, but she had quickly found herself trafficked into sex work and threatened by area pimps. Oh, just the second she got there? Huh? Yeah. Whoa. So the man listened and suggested he could drive her to a bus terminal in New Jersey to get her back home away from her abusive pimp. Oh, no. Before That's terrible. Before doing so, she agreed to have sex with the man for a price and they went to check in. So she's going to just go ahead and dabble yeah. in the sex work. I guess. Soon after, the 18-year-old girl's screams began to echo through the halls of the hotel. Not screams of pleasure. No. Staff were already nervous after a woman of similar age had been found beaten, strangled, and stuffed underneath the bed a few weeks earlier. Uh, At the same hotel? Yeah. Uh. So they decided to call the police. Oh, boy. Yeah. They're on edge already. Maybe they got the guy. Hearing sirens, the man tried to escape, but, uh, but was apprehended quickly. Okay. 
Leslie Ann O'Dell reported that the man seemed nice enough at first. Once in the room, he offered the exhausted O'Dell a massage, which she accepted. He climbed on her back and suddenly got a knife out and pressed it to her throat. Oh, that's not a good massage. He He doesn't even know how to do it. Quickly put handcuffs on her and began torturing her, biting and raping and beating her. That's definitely not a massage. That's definitely not. That doesn't feel good at all. He, re- She recalled him saying, you have to take it. The other girls did. You have to take it too. You're a whore and you have to be punished. Oh, boy. In custody, the man was identified as Richard Francis Cottingham. Richard Francis Cottingham? A father of three from Lodi, New Jersey. Hmm. Okay. In his possession, police found a kill kit. Which a in- kill kit? Which included handcuffs, leather gags, slave collars, knives, pistols, and pills. Oh, boy. Now, why would the pills be in the kill kit? Because you, like you drug force- somebody. Oh, you for- oh, Bill Cosby. Yeah. Bill Co- do with the Bill it's Cosby. now called you Bill Cosby somebody. Yeah. Now, is kill kit, is that the standard name for these yeah. things? Yeah. Everybody call it like, that's that's the lingo? Yes. Okay. Um, what was the other lingo that you had the other day? It was... Uh, Are you going to make fun of me now? No, no. I just can't... I, I still... <laughs> Oh, rigor, full rigor? Full rigor, yeah. That's my, still my favorite. <laughs> Authorities began to question whether this was the same man who committed the other brutal crime just weeks ago yeah, at the same hotel. I have a hunch that it would be. And, That's what I would and say. And if he had killed others. Richard Cunningham, will go Cunningham. back. we'll go into a little bit of his background. He was born on November 25th, 1946 in Bronx, New Jersey. Oh, wait. I mean, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bronx, New York. You're saying he was born the same day that President Truman issued Executive Order 9806, creating the six-member Temporary Commission of Employee Loyalty uh, that would root out suspected communists? Yes, I am saying that. Wow. He grew up in a typical Catholic household. In 1958, at the age of 12, his family moved to Rivervale, New Jersey. Seems fine. Seems plausible. This move was difficult for Richard, and he was reported to be a loner with very few, if any, friends. A loner with a boner. He mainly stayed at home and became obsessed with bondage pornography. Oh, wait. How would you even get that? Magazines, I guess. In the 60s. I don't know. Or the 50s or the 40s or whenever. 50s. When he entered high school, he began to come out of his shell socially. Oh, that's he, nice of the man. And he showed people his bondage porn. I don't know. He graduated in 1964 and soon after took a job with his father at the MetLife Insurance Company working on the company's computers. Okay. You know, this is why nobody will trust an insurance salesman after this story. He'd eventually leave the company and start working for Blue Cross, where he continued to work until his arrest. Oh, okay. Richard met his future wife and was married on May 3rd, 1970. Wait, he married his wife the same day that... To Rome with Love was on TV. That was starring John Forsyth and Joyce Menges. Uh, it's a story about uh, after his wife dies, Michael Endicott leaves Iowa with his three daughters to accept a teaching position at the American Overseas School in Rome, Italy. Yes. The couple had three children. Okay. Richard Cottingham. He Richard Cottingham. Married with three children. Married his wife, and then they had three kids. It seemed that Richard was a normal guy with a steady job and a family. Well, that's not going to be true beneath the happy exterior though there was an incredibly dangerous and vicious person who lacked empathy and cared only for satisfying his sexual desires sounds like a cadbury cream bag on the outside it's chocolate yes on the inside is all that stuff that you said right but it's delicious it is unknown how many victims richard had he claims to have murdered between 80 to 100 women Oh, one man, of his that's a er- lot of women one of his earliest crimes was committed on october 28 1967 Wait, October. Wait, his one of his earliest 
murders was committed the same night that on My Three Sons, Ernie's new playmate, Mike, likes to pull childish pranks that upset the Douglas family, and then Robbie goes to talk to Mike's parents, only to learn that Mike doesn't have a mother, and that Mike is actually a girl named Michelle. Unfortunately, Michelle's father treats her like his son rather than his daughter, only talking about sports and other boy things, so the Douglas is trying to bring her out, bring out her feminine side. That same night? Did you just make that whole thing up? <laughs> no, that's actually all true. Really? I didn't even... There's no... Yeah, there's no, there's no 69 here or anything. I know. Also, the same day that Julia Roberts was born in Smyrna, Georgia? Yes. Your favorite actress of all time? Nancy Vogel, 29, told friends she was going to play bingo at the local church. That's probably a lie. Instead, she ended up shopping at the mall. I know it. You know what? Women in those days... Would lie about things and then go play. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. What At I'm the mall, about. Cottingham abducted Vogel and took her to a field in Mont- Montvale where he strangled her. Vogel was found dead in her car, nude and bound. Uh, Police had no suspects and the case quickly became cold. Well, why would she, why would she lie about going to the mall anyway? Maybe she just changed her mind. Oh. Oh, so it's not necessarily a lie. Right. On July 17th, 1968. Oh. Which is where we are now. Oh yeah, here we are, July seventeenth, nineteen sixty-eight. Some what what you're about to tell me happened the same day that National Airlines Flight Ten Sixty Four from L.A. to New Orleans was hijacked. Shortly after it had stopped at Houston, just thirty-five minutes before the DC eight jet reached New Orleans, a passenger holding a hand grenade took control and diverted the flight to Cuba. Really? Yep. And at Havana, Cuban authorities transferred the other 56 passengers to a U.S. government-chartered, propeller-driven DC-7, and they were flown to Miami to catch a flight to their original destination. The crew of the DC-8 flew back to Miami separately. Also, the same day... Well, wait a minute. Did they catch the hijacker? That's... uh, I don't... You don't know? That's all I have. Oh, okay. That's all. It was just on Wikipedia. I didn't look it up. It was like a... Yeah. Also, that same day, Yellow Submarine, a psychedelic animated film that was inspired by the 1966 song of the same name, premiered Mm -hmm. at the London Pavilion that same day? Yes. This happened? Yes. (laughs) Jacqueline Harp of Midland Park was walking home from band practice when a strange man, Cottingham, tried to coax her into his car. Knowing better, Harp, just 13 years old, refused. That's good. She had good parents. Cottingham persisted. He drove his car ahead of Harp, pulled over, and walked back toward her. That son of a bitch. And even though Harp ran, Cottingham soon overtook her and dragged her into a group of bushes. Ah, shit. Harp was found strangled to death the next day. I don't like that. Police were unable to find any suspects to this crime, and it also became cold. On April 7th, 1969... Oh, my God. There's a lot. This guy's doing a lot. April 7th, 1969, the same day that Imogene Coca and Robert Goulet were on the Carol Burnett show? Yes. Cottingham saw Irene Blaze, 18, shopping at Hack in Hackensack. Soon, Cottingham persuaded Blaze to go for a drink with him. Taking a bus to another location, Cottingham and Blaze spent some time together. Blaze is a cool name. After their drink, Cottingham offered to bring Blaze back to the bus station where they had taken the bus. Blaze was found strangled to death in four feet of water in Saddle River the next day. This guy needs to knock this shit off. I'm not liking this guy. On July 14th, 1969. Oh, the same day that... Clarence died, who was seven years old, an American lion who had a, appeared in the 1965 children's film Clarence, mm-hmm. the cross-eyed lion, and four seasons in the CBS television show Doctari. 
Yes. Same day he died? D- sucks. Denise Velasco was walking by the side of the road That's in Emerson when Cottingham pulled up beside her and offered her a ride. Velasco, 15, accepted. Oh. She was found strangled to death the next day in Saddlebrook. Oh. So Richard's criminal activity continued undetected in 1969 oh, when he was convicted of driving while intoxicated in New York. So oh, he got picked up for that. Then three years later in 1972, Richard was caught shoplifting from a local store. It's unclear what he was stealing. It's weird he gets caught for drinking and driving and shoplifting, right. but not murdering right. women. The following year, in 1973, a victim reported that he had attacked her. He was charged in that crime with robbery, sodomy, and sexual assault, but all charges were ultimately dismissed. Uh, why? As time went on and he wasn't caught, Richard became increasingly more deranged. He would continue daily to his job in New York, but sometimes he would go after work, go out after work. He would stalk different bars in Manhattan, preying on unsuspecting women who were trying to unwind after a busy day. Do you think his coworkers knew, like, that guy is probably killing people? Like, we've know. all yeah. known those people. Like, that guy's. Something's wrong with him. Once he chose a victim, he would attempt to slip a drug in their drink, then take them to a motel where Bill he would Cosby. sexually torture them for hours. A year after the previous arrest, he was charged with unlawful imprisonment and robbery. A few months later, he was also charged with robbery and sodomy, but both cases from 1974 were dismissed again. They got to stop dismissing these cases, man. Then on December 15th, 1977. Oh, the same night that a sweat hog Christmas special was on? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and I'm welcome back, Cotter. Obviously. Uh, and on what's what's happening, Raj, Rerun, and Dwayne gave their teacher, Mrs. Collins, a gift, an empty box, but then f- felt guilty later. Yes. That same day? Richard claimed his next murder victim. He abducted 26-year-old Marianne Carr and brought her to a hotel. Once inside, Richard tortured her repeatedly, beating, biting, cutting, and raping her. Oh, I bet she wished she was watching a Sweat Hog Christmas special instead of that. He restrained her and ended up strangling her, ending her life. She was uh. dumped along a chain-link fence near the apartment complex he used to live in, the ligature still around her neck. Oh, man. While he didn't kill anyone that is known in 1978, he did rape and torture two more women, one of whom had been pregnant. In 1979, <sighs> Richard abducted a teenage sex worker named Helen Sykes from Times Square. What? She would later be found in Queens, horribly mutilated. Her oh. legs had been severed and dumped a few blocks away. Her throat had been cut so severely that oh. it nearly severed her head. Gross. Richard's oh. wife, incidentally, filed for divorce in 1979 after a string of affairs, but the divorce hadn't been finalized. Wait, wait. She's divorcing over the affairs, yes. not the murders? She doesn't know about the murders. How can you not know? I know. She had to be in denial, right? I think. I mean, denial ain't just a river in China. Richard's most vicious mm. attack to date occurred on Dece- December 2nd, 1979. Wait, his what attack? Most vicious. His most vicious attack happened the same night that on Mork and Mindy, Mindy's level of annoyance with Exodore hits an all-time high when he invites himself and his new girlfriend Ambrosia to dinner. She was played by character actress Georgia Engel. Everybody knows her. She's been on mm-hmm. many things. Mm-hmm. That same night that was on Mork yes. and Mindy, Yes. That poor victim could have just been watching Morgan Mindy and been happy. All right. Dita Godarzi, I think is how you say That's this. That's exactly her name, probably right. And another unknown female had joined Richard in a hotel room near Times Square. Oh boy. Once inside, Richard bound them both and tortured them for two hours. You know, you can have a lot more fun with ladies if you're not murdering them. It's unclear how exactly he killed the two women, but he did sever their heads and hands. 
Then he lit the bodies on fire and fled the scene. Jeez. Firefighters responded what? quickly and put out the fire, but were stunned at the sight of the mutilated corpses. Ugh. The case was soon linked to that of Helen Sykes, which led police to believe they were dealing with a serial killer. Definitely a serial killer. And I wonder how many of these that he's done that nobody even knows about. I know. About. The severed body parts were never located, and it is unclear what Richard did with them. Oh, gross. What it, did he do with those body parts? In May of 1980, Richard committed two more murders just weeks apart from each other. The first was that of Valerie Ann Street. Like other victims, she too had been bound with handcuffs and tortured. Her body would be found covered in bite marks. Ugh. She died as of, of asphyxiation and stuffed under the hotel bed. Hotel workers found the body while vacuuming. Can you imagine Gross. that? It reminds me of when you're. Yeah, my your stepdad, stepdad worked at a hotel. He used to always find dead bodies found and dead stuff. bodies. Her arms were still He'd handcuffed. He'd always try to give me their shoes. And yeah. Stuff. Her arms were still handcuffed behind her back. Police uh, were finally able to link Richard to the crime because of his fingerprints were found on the handcuffs. Oh, they were, huh? Yes. Finally getting close to this guy. This was also the same hotel where Richard was eventually apprehended. Okay, so that was his favorite. The following week on May 15th, 1980. Oh, wait. Are you going to tell me something that happened the same night that on the Ropers, Helen and her sisters are shocked by their elderly mother wanting to have a wake for herself? Yes. She invites others to say goodbye in advance. Also, Jeffrey throws his back out and is trapped in a chair on the Ropers? Yes. Instead of watching the Ropers, something else happened? Another sex worker, Jean Rayner, was lured into a Manhattan motel room where she was called by a John. She was ambushed by Cottingham, who locked the door. She was raped, stabbed, mutilated, and tortured. Richard Uh, cut her breasts off and strangled her. What? Her body was also left in the room, which was set afire by Cottingham before he fled the scene. Your boobs would be cut off and on fire if she would have just stayed home and watched the Ropers instead. All of that would have been saved. That's right. Investigators were able, again, to quickly link this murder with many others that with the same M.O. You know, they should have said, the commercial should have said, Keep your boobs. Watch the Ropers. Authorities were quickly able to build a case against Richard. They obtained a search warrant of his home and found his trophy room, which contained multiple personal items of past victims. Oh, I bet all kinds of gross body parts and everything else, huh? One of Cottingham's only admissions of guilt was, I have a problem with women. Yep. Weeks, you think? Weeks Can after his arrest, his wife was finally able to finalize the divorce. Multiple trials were held, and he'd eventually be found guilty in all of them. Evidence was plentiful. Cunningham had receipts with his writing, which linked him to the hotel rooms. Yeah. There were fingerprints and testimony from three different survivors. Why would he keep those receipts? I know, idiot. He didn't have like a boob or anything like that other guy. He kept a boob on the mantle. No. He was charged with the murders of most of his victims in New York and New Jersey. After one of his trials, Richard smashed his glasses and attempted to take his own life, but was unsuccessful. He will spend the rest of his life in prison. By his own admission, Richard Cottingham claims to have killed upward of 100 women and remains a suspect in dozens of unsolved cases. He eventually admitted guilt in 2010 to the 1967 cold case of Nancy Vogel. Although Vogel was the earliest of Cottingham's murder victims, the killer has said she was not his first. A killing in Somerset County a week after Cottingham got his driver's license may have been one of his first victims. That girl was found drowned. Uh. Much of Cottingham's crimes were not murders, but other violent crimes like abductions and rapes. His proclivity toward violence and the lack of solid profiling tactics for serial killers made authorities believe that Cottingham's claims of 100 victims might be possible. Uh, and that's the story of Richard Cottingham, the torso ripper. Gross. That guy's awful and gross. It's crazy how the crimes changed as they went by. And like Yeah. Well he got they got more deranged. Yeah. Well with all these guys, like if think of all the ones that if they would have caught him or like all those ones he 
they they just dismiss yeah all the cases and stuff and they had the guy yeah they had him and they just let him go and all these other ones uh-huh. happened yeah we should sue yeah <laughs> is he still alive I think so. I think he's in jail. He's in jail. I bet yeah. he's getting conjugal visits left and right. Ooh, from he's gross. He looks like a big fat, like dr- pervert Santa Claus. No, that's my. That's what I. That's like. your type. Big fat pervert Santa Claus looking guys are my favorite. Well, that brings <laughs> us to July twentieth, nineteen sixty-eight. Good work. Good Thank work. You. Good sleuthing. Good internet grazing. On Saturday, uh, July twentieth. Hugh Masakela takes over the number one spot, grazing in the grass. Uh, also, that same day, the first Special Olympics Games were held. Aww. As 1,000 developmentally, as they said then, developmentally disabled American and Canadian children. Yeah. Which is now American and Canadian children with developmental disabilities between the ages of 8 and 18 competed during the one-day event at Soldier Field in Chicago. Well, that's cool. The event organized by Eunice Kennedy Shriver would be celebrated 40 years later as one of the most prominent and celebrated sporting programs in the entire world. With programs... Cool. Yeah, well, anyway. Yeah, that's fine. And then Monday, July 22nd, 1968, Virginia Slim Cigarettes, mm-hmm. a tobacco marketed as the choice of a modern woman, were introduced by the Benson & Hedges Company with the slogan, You've, You've come, come a long on. way, baby. Yeah, you do. Yep. The product test marketed in San Francisco before being rolled out nationwide. You remember that, huh? Mm-hmm. that make you want to smoke those? No. no. I just saw that. I just remember seeing it on billboards and yeah. stuff. Come a long way, baby. Now smoke these. Yep. And then Tuesday, July 23rd, 10 people were killed and 18 others wounded as police in Cleveland and a black nationalist militant group fought a gun battle in the Glenview section of the predominantly black east side of the Ohio City near the corner of East 105th Street and Superior Avenue. Oh, okay. Uh, the violence started at 830 in the evening at Lakeview and Arbondale Avenues when five men with automatic rifles fired at a police car and a tow truck that had arrived to tow away an abandoned car, followed by a sniper fire from the apartment houses above the intersection. And then on August 2nd, 1968, a suicidal pilot stole a Cessna 180 airplane from an airstrip at Jean, Nevada. Oh. Or Jean, Nevada, it's J-E-A-N. Uh, mm-hmm. Then flew to Las Vegas and crashed into the top of what was at the time the tallest building in the metropolitan area, the 30-story tall landmark hotel and casino in Paradise. The wreckage then fell onto the adjacent Las Vegas Convention Center. The pilot was killed, but nobody on the ground was injured. Oh, my God. That's yeah. that's lucky. Yep. It was 39-year-old Everett Wayne Shaw, a mechanic depressed by the breakup of his month-long marriage, uh, was stole the plane as part of a suicide attempt. He flew the plane toward the landmark towel, tower and they think he pulled up just before hitting it, mm-hmm. and so it brushed the top of the tower before crashing into the convention center across the street. So he probably like was changing his mind at the last minute. Yeah, you know, I don't want to kill all these people. I guess. Um, and then Saturday, August third, nineteen sixty-eight, the Doors take over the number one spot on the Billboard charts with "Hello, I, I Love You." Won't you tell ba, 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 me? And two days later, on Monday, August 5th, Luther Perkins, 40-year-old American country music guitarist for Johnny Cash, died two days after being injured in a fire at his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Perkins had fallen asleep while smoking a cigarette. Oh, people used to go like that. There's a lot more of that than there is now. Yeah. Amazing how many people fall asleep smoking. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then on Wednesday, the 7th of August, former U.S. Vice President Richard M. Nixon completed a dramatic political comeback by being nominated for president of the Republican National Convention on the first ballot. Oh. Needing 667 delegate votes, Nixon clinched the nomination when the roll call reached the 49th of the 50 state delegations and was given all 30 of Wisconsin's votes. He finished with 692. New York Governor Nelson A. Rockefeller was second with 287 and California Governor Ronald Reagan received 182. I, I guess I didn't realize a Rockefeller ran for president. Yeah, well, but I think that... Yeah, I was running for the mm-hmm. nomination. And Thursday on the 8th, Maryland Governor Spiro Agnew was selected by Richard Nixon to be his choice for vice presidential running mate. And then Friday, August 9th, this is just one one birthday. Well, two people's birthday, but I only kept this in there because I think it's interesting that they were both born on the same day. Jillian Anderson and Eric Bana. God. Born on the same day. Who cares? They could be twins. You don't know. No. You don't want to know they're born on the same day? No. And then Saturday, August 10th, Mm -hmm. Piedmont Airlines Flight 230 crashed short of the runway while approaching Charleston, West Virginia at the end of its flight from Cincinnati and only two passengers out of out of the 37 people aboard survived. Wow. But two of them did survive. The Piedmont Airlines, according to mywvhome.com, mm-hmm. the Piedmont Airlines twin-engine prop jet groping through thick morning fog slammed into the hillside overlooking Coonskin Park. The shattered airliner bounced and burned off the side of the main runway. 32 passengers and crew members were killed outright. The survivors were rushed to Charleston hospitals by a howling stream of ambulances, along with seven other pronounced dead on arrival. About 20 bodies were trapped in the burning plane and had to be pried from the crumpled wreckage with cranes. Debris, luggage, mailbags, and personal effects were strewn in a grisly 100-yard-long path from the edge of the Coonskin Ravine. Uh, the airliner hit short and to the right of the main runway, another 50 yards of altitude, and would have landed on the level grassy strip adjoining the 150-yard wide concrete strip. An airport official said that from the appearance of the bodies, most of the victims died from the impact and not from the fire. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, uh, most of the victims were trapped inside the burning fuselage. Uh, the injured were pulled away from the blaze by passengers of a private plane waiting at the north in taxiway for the Piedmont flight to land. So other passengers saved them? Yeah. These other wow. these, these rich people waiting for a private plane all came out and started helping them, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, they made a temporary morgue in the National Guard hangar less than half a mile away. Um, they said fog was kind of to, to blame, I think. Uh, oh, I had another bit about it. There's... Like, oh, the two survivors. I, I looked into them because I thought, mm-hmm. can you imagine what they yeah, must I have went through? But neither one of them remember anything. Oh, really? They don't remember anything of it. Yeah. The one woke up and she had like that white foam that they spray on you to put out fire. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, she remembers them spraying that on her, but she didn't remember anything else. And then Wednesday, August 14th, all 21 people on board a LA Airways helicopter were killed when the Sikorsky S61 broke apart while flying the group Jesus. of vacationers from the L.A. International Airport to Disneyland. This is just now the podcast of murders and crashes. <laughs> murders and crashes, yeah. It's pretty much all it is. Yeah, the wreckage fell onto a playground at 
Loiters Park in Compton. One of the victims was the teenage grandson of the L.A. Airways shuttle director. Moments before the crash on the playground, a group of children who had been playing at the site had been led to safety by fourteen-year-old, a 14-year-old National Youth Corps volunteer. Jeez. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. So there's... Uh, from gendisasters.com, they go into kind of grisly detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Well, that's what we want. That's what we're here yeah, for. Yeah, you love the grisly detail. So apparently, the, according to that website, the body of the pilot was partway out of the cockpit and his head was resting on the ground. Said Don Rostering, 28 of Linwood, a mechanic at a nearby transmission shop. His hair was on fire, Rostering said. Oh, my God. We tried to spray him with extinguishers, but the flames swept right over him. God bless that man, said a witness, Jonathan Dollar, 46, about the pilot. He tried at the very end to keep that copter airborne. Uh, wow. Yeah, they, they all said it was really uh, gruesome to see him there because he looked like he was alive, but he had no expression on his face. So yeah. He, I think he was dead and everybody was with his hair on fire. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Um, Oops. You all right? Yeah, my phone went. And then Saturday, August 17th. While the young rascals, people got to be free, took over the number one spot of the Billboard charts, actress Mia Farrow flew from New York to El Paso, Texas, then went across the border to the neighboring city of Cuidad Juarez in Mexico. 30 minutes later, she was granted a divorce from singer Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. whom she had married in December. That's quick. That's yeah. a quickie marriage. Yeah, that's a quick marriage. She was, oh, what was she? was 21 and he was 50. Oh, my God. So, yeah, gross. Yeah, gross. Uh, and that makes you realize how old Frank Sinatra was. In 1968, mm-hmm. he was 50. Yeah. So, I mean, we knew him as, he was a million. Like, yeah, right. So, yeah. Uh, and later, she said that, you know, she was just immature, and he was mad because she did Rosemary's Baby and oh. stuff like that. Like um, He's probably real controlling, I bet. It sounded like he was. Yeah, he, he wanted her to give up her acting career, and she had agreed for a while, but then... Um, she got tired of doing nothing, so she signed on to Rosemary's Baby, and then that kind of pissed him uh, off. Pissed him off, and uh, yeah, so he deserved he served her divorce papers then, and then Wednesday, August twenty first, a riot at the Ohio Penitentiary Penitentiary in Columbus mm-hmm. was brought to an end at two forty five in the afternoon, and nine guards were rescued after having been held hostage for thirty hours. Ugh. More than three hundred of the twenty five hundred inmates had seized control of the prison after a guard was overpowered by a prisoner and had its keys taken. Oh man! After a spokesman for the inmate, after a spokesman for the inmates threatened to burn the hostages to death if more demands were not met, prison warden. Marion J. Koloski delivered mm-hmm. an ultimatum at 2.30 and told the rebels that he was giving them one last chance to release the guards and they had 15 minutes to respond. When the hostages were not released after 15 minutes, officers detonated, di- detonated dynamite outside the cell walls and seconds later in the roof over the cell block. Five inmates were shot and killed by the SWAT team during the rescue. Whoa. Yeah. They should make a movie about that. Dynamite. Yeah. I bet they have. I don't know. Maybe. Isn't that uh, what uh, Orange is the New Black is based on? Could be. You remember the show Prisoner Cell Block H? No. That was on in the 70s. I don't remember that. It was a late night show. Wasn't there a whole... It was a women's prison show. Oh, yeah. Wasn't there a whole season of Orange is the New Black that was just a prison riot or a prison hostage situation? I think. That's when it got real stupid. Yeah. And then Thursday, August 22nd, 1968... 
Ringo Starr temporarily quit the Beatles during the recording of the White Album. I didn't know that. Yeah, the drum track for Back in the USSR was played by Paul McCartney because Ringo left. On August 22nd, following an argument with McCartney over the drum part for this song, Ringo walked out on the Beatles. He flew to Sardinia for a holiday to consider his future. While there, he received a telegram from his bandmate saying, you're the best rock and roll drummer in the world. Come on home. We love you. On his return, he found his drum kit covered with flowers. A banner above read, welcome back. Uh, according to UltimateClassicRock.com, Ringo mm-hmm. said, I felt I wasn't playing great, and I also felt that the other three were really happy, and I was an outsider. I went to see John, who had been living in my apartment in Montague Square with Yoko uh, since he moved out of Kenwood. I said, I'm leaving the group because I'm not playing well, and I feel unloved and out of it, and you three are really close. And John said, Oh, I thought it was you three that are real close. Oh. He felt like the outsider. So then he went over to Paul McCartney's and knocked on his door and said the same thing. I'm leaving the band. I think you three are close and I'm out of it. And Paul said, oh, I thought it was you three. Oh. And so they all thought they were the outsiders, I guess. Because hmm. they're probably on so many drugs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and, that, and then Monday, August 26, 1968, Paul... Uh, Violence erupted between Vietnam War protesters and police at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Mm-hmm. On the... Oh, wait, I got this out of order. Yeah. Oh, no, that's right. And by Wednesday, the 28th, U.S. Vice President Hubert H. Humphrey was nominated as the Democratic Party's candidate for president mm-hmm. on the first ballot of the National Convention in Chicago. Uh Eugene McCarthy was also running, but uh, McCarthy was second, and then McGovern was after that. Afterward, after different speakers at Chicago's Grant Park addressed a crowd of 15,000 anti-war protesters, a crowd of about 1,500 people marched along Michigan Avenue toward the convention site at the International Amphitheater where the convention was taking place, protesting Humphrey's nomination. The Chicago police confronted and attacked the protesters with billy clubs and tear gas at various places between the park and the convention center as violence reached its peak. Hmm. Seven months months later, a group of protest leaders designated as the Chicago Seven and an eighth leader, Bobby Seale, would be indicted on federal charges of crossing state lines in an attempt to incite a riot. Yep. As one historian would later note, Millions of Americans turned on their televisions expecting to see Hubert Humphrey win the Democratic presidential nomination, but saw the network's cutaway to live coverage of the riots. Recognizing what was happening, the protesters began to chant, the whole world is watching. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty... uh, Intense. Pretty intense and Mm -hmm. historical and groundbreaking and blah, blah, blah. And then Friday... August 30th, Yes, William Tallman died. I don't know who that is. He was a 53-year-old American actor, best known for portraying television's biggest loser uh, as Los Angeles prosecutor Hamilton Berger, who was bested every week by the title character on the popular mystery and courtroom series Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. Six weeks before his death from lung cancer, Tallman, who had smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. Jesus, how could you do that? Filmed a 60-second television commercial for the American Cancer Society, urging viewers to avoid cigarette smoking and would set a precedent for other such warnings from beyond the grave. I feel like I remember that one. No, Yul Brenner's the one you remember. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. It was really sick. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, I thought that was this one. 
But that, yeah, with just trying to imagine someone smoking three mm-hmm. packs in a day. How can you? You'd have to get up in the middle of the night and several times and smoke a cigarette. No, I, you just have to be smoking all the time. Like you, you could do three packs. If you keep smoking, smoke, chain smoking. Yeah, you smoke one. I would you think you'd have to get up, get up in the middle of the night and do it. Well, each pack has twenty. So that's there probably six. is people that get up in the middle of the night and smoke. Oh, there probably is because they need it so bad. I remember when I worked at a, a gas station in college. There was this little skeevy guy that came in every day and bought two packs of really? Marlboro Reds every oh. single day. I bet and he I, stunk too. Oh yeah, but first thing in the morning he'd come and buy a cup of coffee and two, two packs, packs of, of Marlboro. And he Reds. needed two more the next day because he smoked them all, and he didn't give a fuck. Like he, he yeah. clearly didn't care. He didn't, right. He wanted to die probably, but um. But I always thought, you know, why wouldn't you buy a carton? If you're going to buy two packs every right. single day, just buy a carton. Yeah, it's cheaper. cheaper. <laughs> but he, you know, it, it seemed to be, for him, that seemed to be like his his ritual. ritual. Like it was his tradition, yeah. his ritual. Like he wanted to come in. He was real nice. He talked to me and everything. And he mm-hmm. just wanted to say hello. And that was like part of his day is me giving him. So when I saw him coming, I'd just have his mm-hmm. Marlboro Reds ready for him. And his and whatever, he'd come up and get his coffee and. Kind of a Hallmark commercial, babe. I have it rung out for him already. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I don't remember what that guy's name was, but he looked like. Um, I think he looked like Willie Nelson, kind of. Okay. All right. Then I had sex with him. Okay. Okay. Is that anyway. it? That's it. That's all. all. Right. That's that July and August. Good. That's two more months. All right. Now we're in the fall. Yes. Nineteen sixty-eight. September. Thank you for listening, uh, time heads or jerk heads or whatever you no, want to be called. Time heads. American timeline, the greatest podcast ever. You like history. That's why you listen. You like the history part, and you, you deal with the awful, gross rapes and murders. Or maybe you love the also awful, gross, gross rapes and murders, and the body parts on fire and all that bullshit. And then you just sit through all my stupid bullshit history stuff. And your plane crashes and stuff is like, that's much better. Well, that's why I kept those in there, because you like gore and gross, awful suffering, right? Is that what you like? No. I'm just trying to understand you. I know. I know. It's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. I love you. I love you. We're so tired of hearing about Eat shit, Dan Briggs. I said we're so tired of hearing about when you were all alone, no watchtower, a kiss in the sky. Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes. Said the whistle so tired of hearing about the 60s. One more time, I said, We're so tired of hearing about the 60s. Well, make me shut my mouth American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Talk about pork.